Okay, what's good, everyone? We are here, Agent Talk Podcast, Joshua Gray here. We are here with a very special guest today. Uh, something I've been feeling on my heart as of late is to really get more into interviews. I do a lot of talking with myself, but I want to be able to provide more of a space to hear what other people have to say about their journey, where they've been, you know, things of that sort. And so we are here today with Kayla Rogers. Kayla, um, I'll kind of let her, I guess, introduce herself, but I guess we'll, we'll just start off. Kayla, one, thank you for being here. For those that have no idea who you are, where you're from, can you give us, I guess, just a quick, like, who are you to, you know, who, who, who is Kayla Rogers? Absolutely. Um, so obviously Kayla, um, I'm originally from New Hampshire, um, joined the military out of New Hampshire and spent uh, the last 15 years in the Navy, um, traveling all over. I've lived North Carolina, I lived in Chicago, San Antonio, Florida, Seattle, California, you name it. Um, my husband and I, Grayson, uh, we moved here um, to Nashville about four and a half years ago. Um, I am a recent breast cancer survivor, um, and my husband is a country music singer, and um, I also run a law firm that's actually out of Florida, even though I'm in Tennessee. So, um, and I also manage my husband's career. So, a lot of different, a lot of different hats. Um, I like to stay busy, um, but yeah, that's that's who I am. So let's kind of unpack a little bit. So, the Navy itself. We recently had uh, Daniel Escobar on here, and he came and spoke, and he was an Army Ranger. And so he spoke on his experience, and it really opened my eyes because I I guess I didn't realize how little I knew and know about just the military in general. Like, I had no idea. I thought if someone was in the military, they are overseas shooting. Like, I thought that's what everybody was. I didn't know that there, you know, there are nurses and computer engineers and all just all the interworkings can you I guess just enlighten me and us on just your role within the Navy and what that experience has been like I guess what brought you to that decision just I guess anything that you would want to share about that experience as a whole yeah I didn't know that 15 years that's a good amount of time I'm I'm so close to retirement (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so um, I'll start back on um, what caused me to join the military. So when I graduated high school, um, I was valedictorian or salutatorian, I can't remember, for um, high school. So I um, started off at the University of New Hampshire and kind of got into the wrong crowd type of thing. And uh, within my first semester, I dropped out and fell in love with a guy. Um, he was in the army. So we moved down to North Carolina and we got married. Um, and it was just the wrong, just everything was wrong about it. And, um, it ended very badly. Um, and so it ended to the point where I had to call my parents, collect, let them know that I had gotten married because they didn't know that I was married. Um, and that he had left me with absolutely nothing. And so they drove overnight from North Carolina or from New Hampshire to North Carolina to get me. And from that point forward, um, I promised myself that I would never be dependent on another person, um, in life. And that honestly, you talk about defining moments and that was one of my defining moments, even though it was a terrible situation. Um, it really, God used that to pave me into who I am today. So no regrets there. <laughs> um, just, just a hard time. But um, so my parents got me back um, to New Hampshire. And after living out on your own, you just don't want to move back in with your parents. So um, literally like three or four days after I got there, I, I went and saw a recruiter and I, I enlisted into the Navy. So um, that was March of 2005. Um, and so I went in, so boot camp was, um, and great lakes and then my a school. So the way that the Navy is set up is you have a rate, which is your job and you are right. And the military has pretty much every job you have out in the civilian world. The military has it plus some. Um, so for me, I'm what's called as a master at arms, which is basically military police. So, 
I do um, harbor security. I do patrol on the streets of the bases, um, pretty much anything that a police officer would do in the civilian side, I do for the military. Um, and then there's also a force protection side of that, anti-terrorism, that sort of thing. Um, so that's my job. Um, I graduated A school, which is basically the police academy. And um, my first duty station was Naval Station Everett in Seattle, Washington. Um, and there I pretty much did both patrol um, on the base and harbor security. Um, so harbor security is you drive the small boats that protect the big ships. So you basically sit out in the water with, um, with your weapons, just in case, you know, somebody comes within the perimeter and, and that sort of thing. That is wild. <laughs> I did not know any of that. Wow. Yeah. So you, that, that's like very, I don't know. That's, I'm just kind of picturing you said, you know, you out there on the boat with your weapons. I'm just like, I, the closest thing is crazy. When I was talking with Daniel, the close, I told him the closest thing I could ever imagine is playing Call of Duty. But it's kind of like talking with you, like having this discussion and talking with him and just the more I learn and read, like I read a book called A Night in Pest Valley and just seeing different experiences, the operation side seems very interesting to me. Like mm -hmm. that's what like the logistics and the, like I said, the, the approach to how certain things are done regarding like maybe security, how you, what you like, what you just said, the, the little boat that guards the big boat, like that's like... The intel part, the intellectual side of things, is really is interesting to me. Um, okay, so for moving from there, so you now, what's your role? I guess to recap, what is your role currently with the Navy? You might have just hinted on that, but just a refresher, like what are you so, currently doing with the Navy? Um, I'm now in the reserves, so I got off active duty in 2007 and went reserves. Um, so it's the one week in a month, two weeks a year type of thing. Um, I'm still a master at arms. So when you do your two weeks a year, or you get deployed, you're still, you know, military police. That's, that's your job. Um, but in that you also have rank. Um, so I am, I actually just got selected, um, for chief petty officer in the Navy, which is a really big milestone, um, for other branches, it's E7 and in the Navy, it is E7 for us too, but in the Navy, it's like a huge milestone where to become a chief is like, you're basically the, the enlisted officer almost, um, you're that liaison between like the commanding officer and the troops. Um, so it's a, it's a really big leadership role. It's a, it's a huge honor. There's a lot of heritage behind it. So I was, I was just selected last week. It just came out. So, um, if all goes well during my training over the next couple of months, I will be pinned, um, on as the chief petty officer, January 29th. Well, first, congratulations. That, <laughs> it sounds, that sounds amazing. Um, you. when you enlisted, did you have, like you said, you, it's been 15 years. Did you have this vision, like long-term, I want to be a, I, what was the title one more time? I don't want to. Petty officer. Chief Petty Officer. Yeah. Did you have a vision, like that's what I want to become? Or when did that, is that something you sought out? Or how did you, I guess, get to this path? So I guess when you first joined the Navy, um, and chief petty officer is kind of like, those are your RDCs and boot camps. So those are the ones yelling at you and, and all of that. So they're a little bit intimidating until you start putting on a little bit of rank. Um, but once you realize the, uh, you know, their, their job and how important their leadership role is, um, in the Navy, we have, you know, pretty much there's a saying throughout the Navy that's, if you don't know the answer, go ask the chief. And the chief is, you know, they are that subject matter expert. They are the one that won't steer you wrong. If they don't know the answer, they'll go out and get it for you. And um, so once you start gaining rank, you, you, you get a lot of respect, gain a lot of respect for the chief petty officer. And I think I was probably around third, third class, so third class petty officer, that's the E4. Um, once I was about that rank, I was like, I want to be a chief. And so I have worked my whole career on this. Um, it took me four years to get it. Um, I've, I've put in for it for four years. And finally this year, this year was my year. Awesome. Well, congratulations again Thanks. to you Thanks. on that. Yeah, that's big time. That's what's up. Okay, so steering from that, let's talk about, hmm, let's see what would be next touching point. So law, 
Can you yeah. give a background? You got so many, there's so many different extensions. <laughs> um, can you give me just a background for those, again, that, you know, have not heard of you, where you come from in that field, how you got into law, what you do? I guess I don't want to, yeah, whatever you got to yeah. paint that picture, I suppose. So I'm in a unique position because um, my law firm is in Florida um, and I live in Tennessee. Um, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit, you know, here, but um, basically I went to my undergraduates in legal studies, uh, bachelor's in legal studies at a South university. Um, and then I went on to Nova Southeastern for law school. Um, from there, um, I, I had been in a really bad accident back in 2010. Um, and I got to experience how the insurance companies really jerk you around when you're actually injured and, and you know you deserve payment for your medical bills and that sort of thing. I had over a million dollars in medical bills, five back surgeries, um, and they didn't want to pay me more than twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> um, and so it really just kind of lit a fire under me, and I was like, you know what? From this point forward, I will be an advocate for these people because this is not right. And so I do personal injury law. Um, I work for a personal injury firm called Viles and Beckman out of Florida. Um, I worked there for, I wanna say two years before we moved to Nashville. And I have the most incredible boss. Um, he is such a blessing. And so I didn't wanna leave him and he didn't want me to leave. So we transitioned me into kind of like the CEO role. So it's like firm administrator when I moved up here. So I work remotely, fly down occasionally, and I run the whole firm. So I am in charge of all of our staff, all of, um, you know, everything, operations, marketing, um, everything from day-to-day, -day, client relations, everything I handle. What is the name, again, of that firm? Viles and Backman. Viles and Backman. That is, that's another, that's very interesting. That's crazy. $20,000 for what was it just a situation like how does that work for them because I mean typically I'm thinking like I'm just an average citizen is you know you're paying your payments you have you know the premium and then you have your coverage mm -hmm. how are there ways around that for yeah. them like how does that work so obviously the insurance company wants to pay as less as, or as you know the least amount as possible and our job is to get you the most um, amount possible um, if you have coverage, so say the person hits you and they're at fault and they have, I don't know, let's say $100,000 worth of insurance, you would go after their insurance first. Um, and if, you're, if your case, you know, valued over 100,000, then we would, we would demand what's called as the policy limits tender. So we would, you know, demand um, that they tender their limits. If they don't, you know, you continue to negotiate or you file suit, that sort of thing. Um, and then if your case is worth, say, 500000 and we get that 100000 if you have uninsured motorist coverage, then we can go after that on your policy. So it's a little bit, it's a little complicated. But so in my case, um, the, um, they, the person that hit me had 300000 in coverage. Um, the insurance company did, want, did not want to pay me more than um, 20000 um, we litigated the case for about three years, <laughs> um, and they ended up paying me over the policy limits because we had them in bad faith. So, um, and that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother ball game to talk about, but, um, but yeah, it's, it really, it lit a fire in me because I, you know, it wasn't like I was, you know, getting a little tiny fender bender and was like, oh, my neck and my back, and it didn't really hurt. Like, here I was 23 years old going for five back surgeries and had my military career on the line because I couldn't do anything for them. You know, I was, I was in jeopardy of losing my, my retirement, um, all sorts of stuff. And they, you know, they were trying to fight back and say, no, it's only worth 20,000. So at that point I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to be an advocate for, you know, as many people as possible that are legitimately hurt. How often does that happen? How often does a case like that happen where the real injuries are this amount, 
but an insurance company, you know, doesn't or is, you know, fighting against because three years too, like that's not, that's a long time, I'm sure. So that's basically saying really throughout the rehab as well, you're still having to fight this case and not, if not longer, how often does something like that occur? All the time. That's that if, if it didn't, then there wouldn't be personal injury attorneys, you know, because then the insurance company would just cut you a check and you wouldn't have to fight them on it. So it's pretty much every case. I mean, it's, you have to, you have to fight them on every case. Okay. So build off of that though. Now, one thing I am gathering from you, I kind of knew this before. So for those, a little background and we'll talk about Grayson in a little bit, but Kayla and I, so we obviously both live in Nashville, um, go to the same church, the Hills, does some stuff with her husband, um, same men's Bible study group, all of the things, uh, just same community essentially. But you know, we've known, built some sort of background before. However, one thing I'm building for sure is you seem like once you're kind of determined on like you have this goal, you're gone. Like once the mind, it seems seems at least from what I shake your head, like you obviously agree, you know, it seems like you kind of have this mindset. Once I set this goal, I'm on it. Has it always been, I mean, one, am I correct? And if two, if I am, then has it always been that way for you? Or where did that, where does that mentality come from? Because to be in one, I mean, we haven't gotten even into all the whole picture yet, you know, to be in Navy, you know, to be in a chief, chief, and then, you know, to be running a CEO law firm, you know, doing what you're doing over there. When did that mindset come about? Like, yo, I can do whatever I set my mind to. I think it's always been kind of ingrained in me, to be honest with you. I mean, literally, my parents told me when I was little, I I actually put it in my mind that if I didn't get all A's, I would get in trouble. And they never told me that they're like, or they said they never had anything where, you know, I was going to get grounded if I got below an A, but I just like, I set that, that limit and I, I've never had below an A in my entire life. And so, and I'm talking from like third grade on, because I don't think you have A's and B's below that, but, um, but yeah, I've never had below an A and it was just set by me. And every time that I set a goal, it's just, I hate failure. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I'm all about goals. I'm very goal oriented. I set goals throughout my law firm daily. Um, and it's not like they're, you know, easy goals to hit. I always, you know, I always sit down with my staff and let them know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm setting this goal. And they usually kind of take a deep breath, <laughs> deep breath. And I'm like, but I'm setting it because it's a stretch, but you can do it. And I'm going to help you do it. And so, you know, after we start setting them and they start reaching them, it's addicting when you, when you start hitting your goals, you know, it's addicting, but the part of it is setting reachable goals and not just setting the long-term goal of, you know, I'll use my husband for an example. If his only goal was to get signed and to make it quote unquote, then he would constantly feel like a failure because he's never hitting any milestones. So you have to hit smaller goals to get to your big goal. And then that continues to motivate you and, and recharge you to get, you know, to your end goal. Okay. So one, 100% 100% agree. It's interesting you brought the A's. So I don't know if I made this up. Maybe I did, but I believe I same mindset was I have to get all A's. Like I had to get all A's. When I was in elementary school, for instance, I was awarded when I graduated from fifth grade, I was awarded. It was me and this other, uh, this girl named Brittany Bradshaw. We were awarded some sort of award for, we had not missed a day of school from kindergarten to fifth grade. And that was like the whole school, basically. It was Clark Elementary. So that was ingrained. And for sure, I think it transfers. Uh, that's something I'm definitely realizing is, like you said, you know, you mentioned your parents. That's something that whether you made it up or not, you know, that was a belief system that you had. And it's clearly had, you know, positive benefits as time has progressed. So now you mentioned your husband. Uh, can we get, a, I guess, a background of Grayson and just how you guys met? Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, you work with him in regards to his music and, and being an artist. And can you, I guess, give us a, just a few thoughts or, uh, just an open discussion on your role with Grace and how y'all met just all of the things. Yeah. Um, so it's actually funny. Uh, we met because, um, he hired me to manage him. <laughs> um, 
so back in the day, I, um, back when I lived in Florida, I had some friends that were in a band and I think it was like the night before Thanksgiving or the night after Thanksgiving. And I went to one of their shows and I got to the end of the night and the manager and came up to them while I was sitting there and, and he was like, I'm sorry, we didn't make enough money tonight. So we're not going to pay you. And I, if you're developing a theme, like a, I'm a big advocate for people. <laughs> so I, I stood up and I was like, you guys didn't have a contract. What do you mean? And I said, can I handle this for you? So I went and um, talked to the manager and I came back and I said, here's your pay. And by the way, now they paid your bar tab too, but for, you know, um, for just having to go through that. And um, so from that point forward, I kind of developed a little bit of a hobby of um, managing bands and artists and that sort of thing. It was just kind of fun to me. And, um, you know, I got to go to the concerts and that sort of thing. And we did really, really well. My first artist um, had a lot of success. And so um, their rival, so to speak, was Grace and Rogers. Um, and so when I left um, my first artist, I reached out to Grayson and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for another artist. I'd love to sit down with you. And so we did, and um, he hired me. And through that process, just through working together, we became best friends. And then uh, we found love shortly after that. So, and the rest is history. We've been together six years and married for three. So, so just a little background. So, even before Grayson, what is it like managing? Well, even backdrop. Like when you, when did you start? So, so far we've got a few extensions here. Okay, so we have, uh, for those on the podcast, I'm using my hands here. So check us <laughs> out on the YouTube if you want the visual. But you have Navy here, your, mm -hmm. your progress with the Navy. You have the law firm. Mm -hmm. And now we have Grayson. Where do the three fall in line at the point that right now, like you mentioned, where the rival, you find out that the rival is Grayson. Like mm -hmm. how do the three, where are we right now in the timeline? As far as what, so. Like when you met Grayson, where were you in your Navy career as well as with the law firm? Um, when I met Grayson, Navy career, I believe I was, I was a first class petty officer um, in, in the reserves. Um, so it's pretty much where I was before I got selected for chief a couple of weeks ago. So um, same rank, um, master at arms in the reserves out of West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, Legal wise, I was working for a different firm. We were doing securities litigation um, and that was out of West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and that's a lot of, you know, like stocks, bonds, CDs, that, that sort of stuff. A lot of retirement plans, working with, you know, a lot of um, big stock brokers, that sort of thing. Um, and then the honestly the managing the artist thing was just kind of a, a side gig for me it was just a hobby and something to you know do on the side type of thing okay and so you meet Grayson so y'all just for clarification you both you started out it was business first like mm -hmm. it was their relationship managing him and through that management you guys obviously built this friendship and then now marriage mm -hmm. what is it about Grayson because so basically I guess to paint the picture I think right now we're recording this. What's the date on this? It's October 29th. I think this is going to come out probably sometime October. I think during, or excuse me, November. In November, we're going to get a stream of getting some interviews out. Grayson's as well. So for those that are listening, Grayson will also get his interview out during this timeline. But what, what is it about Grayson himself that was like, I want to marry this guy? Because I know Grayson. Grayson, yeah, good, really good dude, solid, very low-key uh, what is it about Grayson? And I was like, I like this guy here. He was, so at this point, when I first met him, I, um, I did not know the Lord. I was not a Christian. I had no, uh, I wasn't, you know, raised around faith or anything like that. Um, 
And there was just something so different about him. Like I can pinpoint it. It was just, he just had a light about him and I loved it. It was just like a draw and draw or kept drawing me in. And he was so easy to talk to. I remember we would sit in parking lots of um, restaurants until like three and four in the morning and just talking about life, you know, just opening up about our struggles and life and he literally became my best friend. I mean, there wasn't a day that we didn't, uh, that didn't go by that we didn't talk. And, um, he just, he, he really is like, he's got the biggest heart ever. He's, um, he was so different as to most of the guys that I had dated in my lifetime. Um, in that he just really did have just a love for people and a love for God. And, um, I mean, every day he would just, he never pushed his faith on me, which I always respected because I was very standoffish about it. Um, but I would always see him posting about like his Bible study and what God was teaching him that day. And finally I started asking him questions about it. And I was like, what do you mean by this? And, you know, and I, I told him, you know, how nervous I was about even (laughs) diving into faith and learning about God. And, Um, and he was like, I can't promise that I'll ever have all the answers, but I'll try to get them for you. And so I would ask him questions and he would send me links to like gutquestions.org and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and then one day it was October, I want to say 12th, I think it was October 12th. Um, I finally gave, um, myself to the Lord and he was the first person that I called. I was just like, I, I, I just, you know, gave, gave my heart to the Lord and he cried with me and celebrated with me. And we just had that special bond ever since. That's awesome. Okay. So now I was thinking of when would be the best time to bring up this verse as in the background, uh, I'm going to read it. It says, I believe whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Colossians three twenty three. Is that a verse that you put up? Is that a go-to verse for you? Uh, it is. Um, this is my office. So all of my work goes down in my office. Um, and I struggled for a very long time on idolizing my work and my accomplishments. If anybody is uh, familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm like strive on my accomplishments and that sort of thing. Um, and so a couple of years ago, the Lord, um, convicted me that I was idolizing work and accomplishments. And right before we got married, I I went into like six months of just really asking the Lord to search my heart and to teach me what he wanted me to learn about being a wife before we got married. And the biggest thing that he told me was that he wanted me to have a work-life balance. And so when we moved into this house, I put that up and that's my, that's my daily reminder because I'm on Zoom meetings all the time and that sort of thing. And, and I see it and that's, that's my reminder that I work, you know, everything that I do is for him and not for man. And it's my reminder to, you know, <laughs> a lot of the times I'll look at it and be like, Hey, it's six 30. I'm, I'm logging off and going to spend time with my husband now instead of working until nine o'clock at night, which I used to do. I love that. And I love that because I think that's so timely. That's a discussion. And even so many depths to it, so much depth to it. I love that with you being a woman, is that that's something you can speak to as well? Because I think I know for sure that that is an issue for men. Like that is that's a common like in our group, like, oh, we're like it's very easy for I think any individual, whenever you have your own ventures and your own endeavors and things that you're, like you said, you are want to be an advocate for a variety of things for good intentions as well. What, what is it about, you know, the pursuit of, you know, excellence or success or whatever it might be? Why, why is that with work? Cause the same thing for me, someone, you know, I have a few businesses, the podcast, things of that nature. Why is it that that can be something that is hard maybe to turn off for us? would you say? I think it gets addicting. Um, you know, you, you, like I was talking about earlier, the little goals. That's a good word right there. (laughs) Um, you know, hitting those little goals gives you that little shot of dopamine. It's just kind of like social media and getting those likes and that sort of thing. Um, it just, those little accomplishments, they just continue to, to get you going. And you're like, Oh, if I do this, then I can get to the next one. And, And I really do. I think that it's, 
you know, work is good. God says work is good. You know, he, he even called his work good, but he also took, you know, a rest day. And I think that a lot of the times in, in this day and age, you know, culture is teaching us to just continue to work, work, work. And um, I know for America, you know, we, we basically um, live to work versus, you know, working to live. And so I think it's really important to just take that step back and realize like, even God rested, we need to rest. And when you finally do that and you set those boundaries, it's so much more healthier and you're so much more happier. And um, it's just hard to make that decision and, and do the transition, but. Okay, so God himself, Okay, we bring God. And one, I do think that's so timely. Actually, that to me, that's a big thing that I've realized for sure in 2020 is that God rested in the reality that he rested as you read just, you know, right off in Genesis. And the fact that if God rested, it really is good for us to do the same, yeah. you know, just in general. Like to me, the concept of sleep, like I love like, to sleep. I really do. Like, you know, I'm not lazy like i get up 4 a.m every day but i love when i'm asleep i just love that the concept that we can rest and then gain energy to me that's amazing it really is just that whole process okay so for you if someone you know let's say someone just randomly comes up to you they've never heard of god before never heard of his name have no idea the lord like who is that what's that who is god to you oh goodness a good question. <laughs> God is, he's so much, I mean, he's my everything. Um, and a lot of the times when people ask me about God, I talk about what he's done in my life because, um, I know as an, um, you know, an, a prior non-believer that was what was most moving to me. Um, when I heard those God stories and I was like, wow, you know, like that really is, you know, a miracle. And so then you can kind of see what God's doing in your life. God is my everything. He has been my healer. Um, you know, by the grace of God, I have no more cancer in my body right now. And, um, he is a miracle worker and I'll, you know, um, I'll attest to that on many different ways. He is my protector. I mean, he is just, he, it's so crazy to see what he has done in my life recently. Like a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and I know we'll talk about that, but for three years before that I put up or I went up for chief petty officer. Right. And I didn't get it each year. And I was so disappointed, but I was like, okay, Lord, not your time. I trust you. Like if it's your will, you'll, you'll make it happen in your due time. Um, the, or this year I got, or last year I got diagnosed for, uh, with cancer. I went into my chief's petty officer exam in between chemo rounds, sick as a dog, <laughs> um, throwing up. I had, <laughs> I had chemo brain, all sorts of stuff. I took my chief and petty officer, uh, the chief petty officer exam. And when I tell you, I could not remember anything in that exam. I couldn't like I prayed my way through that test and I got home and I told my husband, like, if I make it, it's a miracle this year. Cause I, 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 I couldn't think. And then, um, I've been praying really, really hard for Grayson's career because he's just so faithful. And it, I mean, he deserves it so much. And I just, I feel truly that God has put on my heart that his music career is going to happen when, in his timing. And it's all come 360. Like I just made chief petty officer. Um, and he just released a song for my breast cancer journey fighters. Um, when I found out about the chief petty officer, he posted a post about, you know, me taking the exam and, you know, during chemo and that sort of thing. And the MCPON, which is like the master chief petty officer of the Navy, like the whole Navy, he's, he's, he's the guy. What's the name again? We call him Mick Pond, um, but it's Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. So he's like the, the Master Chief of the Navy. He shared Grayson's story and it has since gone viral. Um, as of yesterday morning, 3.6 million people have viewed his, his um, post. 
and it's bringing to light his music, you know, fighters, that music video. We're getting reached out for, you know, articles and interviews and all sorts of stuff. And it's just yesterday I was driving and I was like, Lord, like now I know why you didn't allow me to make chief the last three years. Like you, you waited for such a time as this to make it all happen, to use my cancer journey, to use my Navy, to, you know, help his career. And it's just crazy to see God's hand in it all. And, and when it all comes together. So. So true. I didn't really so, answer your question, but <laughs> no, that's that 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 was that was much better than whatever I was looking for. That <laughs> that is it's beautiful because it really is to see, and that's one thing that I think God has impressed on me is that there there will always be fruit when you you know stay obedient to Him and when you follow Him and you sit when you seek Him, and so that like that's amazing for one, but also not surprising. That's one thing. I, it's so interesting because I remember when it was one of the first Bible studies that Grayson came to. It was at my house and we go through our prayer. You know, what are we grateful for and what are we praying for? This was maybe 2019, beginning of 2019, maybe I want to say. And I know for him, it was music career and for, you know, provision, for growth, fruit, for, you know, all the effort that he has put in. So to see that, I think that it is amazing. It really is because God does want us to, you know, seek him out. And when he does that, he blesses us. So very grateful. Uh, and that's awesome to hear for you as well, just for everything. Uh, yes. Yeah, awesome. So going back. So it is, we are recording this in October. So it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month for you. Can you go bring us through your journey with cancer uh and just whatever you're willing to share like what even i mean what was it like to hear whatever words that you heard i guess whatever you're open to i guess going through would you mind taking us through that journey a little bit yeah absolutely so it actually started february 2019 um i felt a lump in my breast and um I guess as a young woman, you always hear about, you know, lumps in your breast and breast cancer and that sort of thing, but you don't really know, you know, what they, what it actually would feel like and that sort of thing. And so you kind of second guess yourself, but I think it was April. I went in for my just annual physical and I let my primary care doctor know like, Hey, I think I have a lump in my breast. Um, and that doctor at the time was, um, he felt it and he was like, yeah. And he's like, but you're really young. And he's like, it's not abnormal to just uh, for young women to have, you know, cysts in their breasts and that sort of thing. If it's not painful, I'm not worried about it. And, uh, I didn't know any better. So I just kind of went on with my journey. And, um, and, um, a couple months later, I felt it getting bigger. And, um, at that time, Grayson was like, I think you need to get a second opinion. And I kind of felt the same way. So I went in and asked for a different doctor. Um, and she was like, I agree. It could be nothing, but it could be something. Let's just go ahead and get you, you know, some tests just to make sure. And so we did an ultrasound that came back abnormal, um, did a mammogram that came back abnormal. And then they sent me for a biopsy. Um, the biopsy took literally 10 business days to come back and it felt like a year. Um, and the Sunday before I got the news, I was sitting in church and pastor John at the Hills, um, he preached a message on sometimes God brings you through the wilderness. Some miracles can come out of the wilderness. And at that moment, I knew in my spirit that it was going to be cancer. I looked over at Grace and I said, it's going to be cancer and it's going to be okay. And he kind of thought I was being negative and he's like, no, you gotta be positive, babe. And I said, no, like it's going to be cancer and it's going to be okay. And sure enough, that Wednesday we got the news. Um, I was sitting right here when I got the call, <laughs> um, I was working and Grayson, I think was in a song, right across town. And so the nurse calls and she says, Dr. So-and-so would like to see you right away. And at that point, I knew, um, you know, if it's good news, the doctor is going to get on the phone and tell you uh, if they want to if they want to see you face to face, then you pretty much know that it's going to be bad news. So, I remember going downstairs and getting in the shower, and I was just sobbing, um, and I just said, "God, if this is what you need me to go through, I trust you." 
And all I could get out, you know, I sat in the shower for probably 15 minutes, just sobbing, just saying, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord. That's all I could say. Um, the rest of the day was pretty numb. Um, we went to the doctors. They told me that it was cancer. And then they said, you know, the next step is seeing a surgeon. And But the earliest they can see you is in about three weeks. But don't Google anything because Google will tell you that you're dying. So you literally just told me that I have cancer. <laughs> so they also told, they told you that about Google? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you literally just told me that I have cancer, that, I, that the next step is to see a doctor in three weeks. And you told me not to Google. So you go into like fight or flight mode. And so immediately, you know, you have this cancer in your body and you're feeling like I need to go in for surgery. Like I need to start treatment. And the whole beginning of the process is like, for me, was like a three month waiting game. So you wait three weeks to see the doctor and then you have to get more tests and you have to wait for those tests to come back. And then you have to wait for more tests. And then finally they come up with a treatment plan and then you have to wait for surgery date. And so I got diagnosed on October 10th, 2019. My treatment actually started December 17th, 2019. So it was like two months of just full blown up waiting. Um, what was, is your, not to cut you off, but what, like, what's your mind like at that point? Cause that, I mean, that is something that creates fear for people. Like that is, I can only imagine. I really, yeah. and like, what is your mindset? I guess take us through maybe that first day, but also when did it get to the point for you where, you were like, okay, because I would assume from everything you've said so far, there came a point where you were like, all right, like, it's on. Like, we're ready to go. Like, when did that, was it like that from the get-go in the shower? Or when did that process happen for you, if you did get to that point? Yeah, so um, the first day, like I said, I was pretty numb. Um, I actually left the doctor's office, and I, and I decided – I'm numb right now. I'm going to make all of my calls and notifications now um, so that I don't have to keep reliving it and telling each and every person. So I did the whole shebang. I called both of our families. I called my sisters. I called parents, everything. I even did my social media post. I said, well, it's cancer. Give me a couple of days to process and I'll be back. And so that day I did all of my notifications and then allowed myself like the next two days to kind of process um it's the waiting period is the hardest part um because you don't know like you hear cancer and you think am I gonna die you know um and then so I started doing research I got in contact with the American Cancer Society and they gave me like factual information that wasn't from Google um and I started realizing breast cancer diagnosis is not a death sentence um actually if you um if you get it you know early on um it's actually a 99% success rate so is it really huh it is yeah hmm okay I I, I just I if even just what you said because it may, immediately my thought when you had said death sentence my thought with is there is a, a tie with cancer equals death. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. a mental like, belie like belief system that that is true. Mm -hmm. But like what, I guess, was there anything going through the process? Was there anything that you think, I mean, hey, like if there's women listening to this, like I'm thinking like, man, I really hope Lydia listens to this episode. Is there yeah. anything going through this process that you would want if you could give out a message to, to women, to men, to whatever in regards to, the entire process, or if there's a specific message you would want to speak on, what would that be that you would want people to know? So first, there's a couple of different messages. Um, in the beginning stage, I would say, um, know your body and be an advocate for your body. Um, I have, throughout my journey, I have met so many survivors, um, a lot of them my age, so in their, you know, 20s, 30s, um, that actually had to go to two or three different doctors before they would get sent for a mammogram. Um, same situation as me, because we're told like, oh, you're young, this is normal, but in actuality, it was cancer. So um, for women or any of the men, because men can get breast cancer too, um, 
you know, know your body, do your self checks. The only way that you're going to know if something is off is if you do your self checks regularly, because you know, at that point, what everything feels like. So if something develops, then it's going to feel off to you. Um, versus self check. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're on the YouTube here. So if you're not <laughs> watching this on the YouTube, we are on the YouTube. So for me, like, what is a self check? Does that just mean feeling out your chest area in general? Or like, like, is it that yeah. simple? Or what is that process? Yeah, like? um, so you can actually Google it, like how to do a breast cancer self check. Um, but it, it does everything from like your armpits, because this is where your lymph nodes are, that's where the cancer would spread first. Um, so checking your lymph nodes, checking your actual, you know, your chest area, that sort of thing. Um, and just feeling it, you know, if you do it regularly, you know, every two weeks, at least once a month, you're going to feel if something's off. Like if you all of a sudden have a mass that has never been there before, it's time to get something checked out. Okay. So going back, everyone, if you're listening, it's definitely get checked out. You have encouraged me already to do that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So we go back to, so you let everyone know you did your Instagram post, you, you, you put it out to her, like, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. What was next for you throughout this process? You don't have to get too detailed, but was there any major milestone or benchmark? Was there a point where mentally you hit a shift? Like, is there anything that you would want to touch on throughout the process yeah. to get to where you are now? So I, um, you know, I kind of at the very beginning just kind of decided, okay, God needs me to go through this. Um, I felt, I won't say who, but I felt like he needed me to go through the process so that um, certain people could come to the Lord and, um, and they needed to see him, him work through me. And so I just decided that that's my why. And so, you know, going through anything, I need a why, why am I doing this? Why is, and that's my driving motivating factor. And so I was like, okay, Lord, use me. You have me here use me. And so, um, I had my first surgery, which was a double mastectomy, um, on my birthday of all days. <laughs> um, so that's where they, if nobody, or if somebody doesn't know, that's where they remove both of your breasts. Um, and they put in what's called as tissue expanders. Um, so they remove all of, all of the, in the tissue in your chest and they put in best way to describe them is kind of like balloons. <laughs> um, and so each week after my surgery, um, I would go into my plastic surgeon and he would pump it up with saline, um, to like stretch that skin to basically create a new breast pocket where implants could eventually go. Um, that surgery was tough. <laughs> um, I had to sleep in a recliner for about six weeks. You have tear like pterodactyl arms so you can't raise your arms anything more than um for those of you that can't see it's basically <laughs> i was about to say yeah okay you, I got you, you. Have to keep, basically imagine um keeping your elbows tucked into the sides and just moving your arms up and down that's all that you can do um for about three weeks you can't lift anything you can't um you can't push off of your arms. So, um, you literally, I had to sleep in a recliner because you have to, you, you have no abdomen muscles at that point because you just went through surgery. Um, so it was, it was tough. <laughs> um, but I, I wish I had pictures to show, to show you because literally the night I was still at the hospital the night after surgery, I was up walking around on the hospital room floor because I was like, no, I read that the more active you are, the, you know, the quicker you heal. And it was true. I was back in the gym two and a half weeks later, and usually it's an eight week recovery time. So that's amazing. Okay. So I didn't know any of that. That is very <laughs> insightful. I had no idea about any of that. Uh, so for you now, so you've gone through the process. Now you had, you went through chemotherapy. Am I correct? Yeah, started chemo in January, um, did chemo January to April, and then um, chemo ended in April. What is chemotherapy? Because that's another word, too. I mean, just for me, just thinking, like, that's another word, too, that there can be some fear attached to it. What is chemotherapy like? Because I really, you hear certain things, but I have no idea. Like, what is that process like? So um, for women, or for, for women, um, the word chemotherapy, for some reason we attach to, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my hair. <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing how much identity we hold in our hair. 
Um, so that was my first thought was, um, I remember originally they told me that they didn't think I was going to need chemo. And so I was really, really happy about that. And then, um, you have an oncotype score, which basically tells them the rate of reoccurrence that you have, like the risk of the cancer coming back. And it's on a scale of zero to 100. And if it comes back zero to 25, you don't need chemo. I scored a 26. So, so I was literally right on the cusp and I was so mad at God. Um, I remember just screaming out to him in my closet one day, just so mad at him. And at that time, um, Pastor Kristen from the Hills called me at that exact moment. And she said, let me pray with you. And so she prayed with me and she said, it's okay for you to be mad at God. Like he can take that, tell him how you feel, but don't allow yourself to stay there after you're done, get up and move on. And that was the best advice she could have given me. And so I told God how I felt that day. And the next day I was just like, okay, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going through chemo. Um, and then at that moment I said, you know what, I'm not going to allow cancer to dictate how and when I lose my hair. I'm going to choose that. And so we made the decision to have a head shaving party. <laughs> um, and Grayson and I shaved our heads side by side with all of our friends around. It was actually on a Sunday after church. Um, John Allen salons actually opened up their salon to us, gave us makeup artists and hair stylists and everything just totally donated. And we made a really, really special day out of it. So that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. One, yes, Kristen, very timely, very timely. We just had to turn in pastor appreciation videos. And that's mm -hmm. the exact same thing I said is <clears throat> both of them have always had a timely word for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last few questions. So now one, you are now cancer free, correct? Yeah. Or what, what, um, how would you determine or where, what is, where is everything right now? I guess. So they actually got all of the cancer in my surgery. So my birthday is actually my cancer free day, um, which is cool. Um, the chemo was actually to just lower my rate of reoccurrence. So hopefully it won't come back. Um, I am at the point now. So normally you would, um, I had hormonal cancer. So there's a lot of different types of breast cancer. Mine was driven off of estrogen and progesterone. Um, a lot of that is found in foods, you know, cheeses, dairy, um, meats, that sort of thing. Um, that's why it's becoming more and more common in our culture for hormonal cancer. Um, so usually in my case, they would put me on a drug called tamoxifen and I would have to be on that for 10 years. Um, and that is basically like a hormone blocker. Um, I prayed my way through my journey. So I prayed about my surgery and he gave me a piece about it, prayed about chemo. He gave me a piece about it. No matter which way I prayed, <laughs> I did not have a piece about, um, tamoxifen. So I, um, I actually refused the drug and I live every day waking up and praying that God has dominion over my declaring that God has uh, dominion over my body and that if he needs me to go through this cancer journey again, then I trust him, but I'm praying that he does it. <laughs> it so. It's always just good refreshing because it's not the first time, obviously we've had a conversation, but the conviction behind your faith really is admirable because it's, it's so, I think it's easy for a lot of people to be like, yeah, I believe, but do we have faith? And that's, you know, definitely admirable. I will keep you, you know, prayed up for sure. One thing I want to touch on again, like I said, last few questions, Grayson, just a little bit to go back. So now he's obviously had a big role in, you know, your journey and this, everything going on. Uh, you're obviously, you know, your husband, you y'all work together on the media side and, and, you know, with him with being an artist and his journey, he's released fighters. Shout out. We'll plug again. So fighters available where Spotify, on Apple Music, all the things, but go listen on Spotify, right? That's the, yeah. Yeah, and the music video actually has footage from our head shaving party, and that's on uh, YouTube and Vivo, so. Uh, available on YouTube, check them out. Grayson Rogers, his Instagram is at Grayson Rogers Music. Yeah. I want to say we will get your plug in before we finish this episode <laughs> as well. But just a real quick, Grayson himself, or we won't say that, a good husband. This is a question I asked Daniel as well. Can you finish this sentence? A good husband is. 
What? Because it seems like you have a good husband. I have an amazing husband. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get through this journey without him. Um, a good husband to me is my best friend, my companion. You know, um, he literally, I can talk to him about anything. And going through such a hard time like cancer, when a lot of the times there are no words that we want to hear, you know, um, a lot of the times people try to try to tell you what they think that you want to hear, but he was so, he knew that there were no words. And so he would just be there, be there for me when I wanted to cry, be there to just hug me when I felt alone. Uh, you know, one of the favorite things that he did for me through my journey was um, I was struggling a lot with self-image, you know, with having my breast removed. And before my surgery, he contacted all of our friends and family and um, collected affirmations about or from them about me as to why they love me or what, what they think about me. And it was like every time that I was struggling with a self-image or anything, like he would have me pick one out of the email or pick one out of the jar and read it. And it was just a reminder that people love me for me and not physical image. And it was just so powerful and so helpful. And he's just an incredible, incredible husband. I love it. Shout out Grayson. Yeah. <laughs> Good dude. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's amazing here. Okay. So the flip, a good wife is what? A good wife is an encourager. You know, I feel like husbands have so much pressure on them to be the man of the household and to provide and to do, you know, to be a good father when you're a father and just to provide that, you know, that man of the house role. And I feel like a good wife comes alongside them and helps them and supports them and encourages them, especially in this day and age when, you know, it's, it's not all the time that you see a husband coming, you know, into the household and doing that. And so I think a wife truly comes alongside them and supports them and encourages them. I love it. I love it. Okay. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, whatever it might be, what are you doing? Where are you? What is the long-term vision for Kayla Rogers? Um, I would love to have a family. Um, that was that was a really hard part of the cancer journey as we were trying for um to get pregnant before the cancer journey. But I would love to have a family, have children. Um, I would love, love, love to see my husband successful in his music career. Um and just really wherever God wants to take us. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, you know, I just want to continue to see where, where he's going to take us in life. Love it. Okay. Before our last question. So we, we mentioned Grayson. So it's at Grayson Rogers music. So plug on there listen to him. YouTube fighters. Uh, where can people connect with you? Um, I am Mrs. Grayson Rogers on Instagram. I am Kayla Rogers on Facebook. Um, those are the two major ones and I'm not all over socials like him, but those are my two major ones. Okay. So in the Instagram is MRS Grayson mm -hmm. Rogers. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is the agent talk podcast. Joshua Gray here before the last question we will plug ask if you're listening to this on the audio, please give us a five-star review. that would be greatly appreciated. If you think this is five-star content, if you think Kayla gave some five-star wisdom, which I think she did for sure. Um, if you're listening to this on the YouTube, a subscription or a thumbs up would be great. Kayla last question for you is, it's your last thing that you get to write down. You get to write down on a piece of paper, you got a pen, and you're kind of just giving your last piece of wisdom, advice, guidance to the world, whatever it might be. What are you writing on that piece of paper for the world to know about whatever it is you want them to know? If this was just the one thing you can give to the world. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say the power of the mind is everything. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, you can choose every day, whether you're going to focus on, you know, the things that are hitting you bad or the things that are bad in the world or the things that you're struggling with, or you can focus on every little victory. Um, for me, you know, during cancer, I could have focused on every symptom that I was feeling and how bad I was feeling, 
but instead I was focusing on, I'm going to, I'm going to walk a little bit longer today and like focus on that victory or focus on how blessed I was to have some, some, you know, a friend come and clean my house. Um, and when you focus on good, you'd be surprised, um, how much you can accomplish and how much you can overcome. Uh, the power of the mind really is everything. Huge, huge. Okay. I lie. I actually have one more question for you. (laughs) A question that I always ask everyone. This is the last question officially. What is one thing, you know, you've, you've gone, you've been diagnosed with cancer to be cancer free. You've a chief petty officer in the Navy, law firm, you know, running, calling, calling the shots, business manager, you know, all of these things, you know, God has blessed you. You know, there's fruit in your life. In this moment that we are in, last question I have, what is one thing that you are most grateful for? I'm honestly most grateful for my, for my relationship with God. Um, coming from spending 28 years without him and to now have finally like found him. I can't imagine life without him again. Like that's, that's my everything. Um, it's crazy to say, because I I look back a lot and I'm like, wow, life was so different without him. But yeah, he, he has just completely changed my life around and, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. (laughs) Um, well, that's all I have. Again, this is Josh Gray, Agent Talk Podcast. Kayla, is there anything else that you have or are you good to go? I think I'm good. Thanks for having me. Okay. I appreciate you being here. Anybody listening, we appreciate y'all tuning in. Josh Grady, Kayla Rogers here, and we are out.